Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. There's a lot of crazy things that you can do with credit card reward points. Now, before I used to think people would only do credit card rewards for things like travel or cash back, or maybe even getting a little bit of gift cards, but there's a whole other world to rewards that I did not even realize. That's why I was so excited to bring on today's guest, Julia Menez. Julia is a travel hacking coach, a speaker, and host of the really awesome podcast, Geo Breeze Travel Podcast. After traveling to more than 30 countries before the age of 30 and saving thousands of dollars each year by travel hacking, she also interviews top travel hackers around the world on her Geo Breeze Travel Podcast and gets their strategies into how how exactly they are hacking. She prepares personalized points and miles plans for her private coaching clients as well. Through her podcast, Julia features a diverse roster of guests with experiences that are traditionally underrepresented in larger points and miles blogs and media. Her episodes often highlight travel hacking women, immigrants, and people of color. Julia has been a speaker at FinCon X, a course instructor for frequent travel university online, and she has led so many different workshops to thousands of attendees at events like She Factor 2020 Summit. I love this episode. It really opened up my eyes into so much of the travel points hacking and just that industry in general that I didn't quite realize. In this episode, we dive into Julia's work hosting the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast and covering stories that most blogs don't cover, why Julia chooses to feature other travel hackers on her podcast, a tip she recently learned for earning more travel miles, growing up in a Filipino-American household and the associated cultural pressures, finding fire and how that completely shifted her financial journey, why you really do need to be careful about the people you surround yourself with when it comes to your financial success, how she really got started into points and mileage and why it came from an experience flying to Morocco where her travel guide bailed on them 20 hours before she was supposed to officially land in the country, travel hacking basics and how to avoid wasting your time, getting past the fears that come with using credit cards required for travel hacking, how to organize your cards, when to close cards and when not to, why you should wait until you're consumer debt-free before getting into travel hacking, and a little bit about traveling to 30 different countries and which are Julia's favorite. You're going to learn a ton of different information. One of the things that I thought was so cool from this is she actually shares how people are using credit card hacking as way more than just travel. Some people are actually adopting kids. I thought that was really interesting to hear. It was definitely a unique take that I haven't heard before, but she will definitely dive into all of that in this episode. I'm super excited to turn over the mic to Julia, but before we do, let's hear a quick word from today's sponsor. There's a lot of pressure on small businesses to hire the right person because when you're a small business, your team is usually pretty tiny, right? One wrong move can actually hurt your entire company. And that's why I'm really excited to tell you about Indeed. I've been talking about Indeed for a little bit now. You guys know it's such a powerful tool, especially for people that are trying to find quality candidates, because let's be real, historically hiring can be a huge pain in the butt, but not in today's world when there's really amazing companies like Indeed. Indeed.com is a hiring site that helps you find quality candidates with Indeed Instant Match. This is the coolest thing, you guys. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to help you show great candidates instantly. So you're only seeing the people that are actually relevant to your job. So you can do the part you really need to do faster, which is meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, there's no long-term contracts whatsoever. You can pause your account at any time and you only pay for what you need. With Instant Match, you see a list of really great candidates with zero weight. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined according to Talent Nest. 
Want your quality shortlist fast? Then you need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash money nerds. This is Indeed's best offer available anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash money nerds. Indeed.com slash money nerds. This offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, now back to the show. Julia Menez, thank you so much for hanging out. I'm so stoked to have you on the show. Hello. Thanks, Whitney, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love, love, love your podcast. I have to tell you that first and foremost, you're doing such a good job and you are doing a phenomenal job of making your podcast a little bit more inclusive. We were kind of chatting about this before we officially hit record, but can you tell us a little bit about your podcast first and foremost and the work you do there? Sure. So I'm the host of the GeoBreeze Travel Podcast, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere that you would normally find your podcast. And we talk about all of the ways that you can level up your travel hacking lifestyle. And there are so many different ways that people use points and miles to craft unique lifestyles. We have people who do the usual fly on first class and business class flights all the time and teaching you where you can find those secret redemptions where they hide the award availability. We have people who are using points and miles and credit card hacks for their different side gigs where they're doing a lot of buying and selling through eBay to get points and miles and then getting a little bit of a profit that way as well for some side income. Some of our more interesting stories, we had a lady who used points and miles to go adopt her son from the Philippines. We had somebody who use points and miles to get his sister out of Florida when there was a hurricane that was coming in. So there's so many different stories about how people use travel hacking and points and miles that just aren't covered on the larger blogs for a variety of reasons that we can talk through today. But I just really wanted to highlight some of those stories that maybe don't get exposed as much in the travel hacking community. No, they totally don't. You're right. Because that was one of the things when I was listening to your show, immediately I'm like, nobody talks about this. Like, it seems so buried under this almost, and not saying travel superficial, I love travel, but it's almost this layer where it can be so much more complex and nuanced. And I didn't even realize that until I listened to your show. Thank you. Yeah, I think there's a lot of factors that play into why travel hacking blogs have just been structured the way that they've been structured for so long where it's the same 12 guys over and over again. All of them are white, and they never reference each other or any other travel hackers who might have their own platform. And that's because of affiliate links, historically, where there's always this fear of, what if somebody who normally would read my blog goes to a different blog and uses their credit card signup links? Because those those are really lucrative affiliate links for people. So historically, it's just been hyper-competitive in this space, and I wanted to turn that upside down and say, what if instead of never referencing other travel hackers, I just have a show where I'm constantly referencing other travel hackers and highlighting how people use different strategies to live their their lifestyles? I love it. I'm, I'm curious for you, where are you finding your guests? Because I can imagine it would be maybe a little bit more difficult if they're not highlighting other content creators that are travel hackers. Like, how are you finding these amazing people? Yes. So I find a lot of them on Instagram. We do a lot of follow Fridays. You can find me on Instagram at GeoBreeze Travel. And on Fridays, we try to highlight different people in the community. We have different themes sometimes of here's travel hacking moms or travel hacking dads or Latino travel hackers, Asian travel hackers, something like that so that we can all find each other. And the trick is a lot of these people who I interview on the podcast have very small followings where maybe they've spent their time learning more about how to get more points and miles rather than building up an Instagram following or building up a blog or something like that. And so they normally wouldn't qualify to be heard on a lot of platforms where they say, oh, you need at least 10,000 followers or something to be featured on my show, which really limits um, who you can, who you can interview at that point. So I've interviewed a lot of people with less than a thousand Instagram followers, and they have fascinating stories that I don't think you would be able to find elsewhere. No, I love that you do that too. And I think that's a really fun way to find people because you're right. It's the difference between the practitioners, the ones that are actually going and getting the points and not caring about building up a huge following. They're like, I'm I'm having a great time over here. I don't know what you're talking about. So I, I could see that. That makes a lot of sense, actually. For sure. 
I think when you have a podcast, sometimes I heard at FinCon, there's so much focus on, well, how do I grow it really quickly? How do I monetize this really quickly? Rather than just saying, I like to talk to other people about how they get points and miles. And honestly, for me, more than monetizing my podcast, it's been very lucrative for me because when I interview people, I just say, tell me your secrets. What are your secret hacks that I wouldn't normally find on these blogs? And then they tell me, and then I try to implement those strategies, see if they're legit before I post everything out on the internet. And I've gotten a lot of points and miles that way, just from following the advice that some people on the podcast have shared on the show that you normally wouldn't find elsewhere. What? So give us like an example of a tip and that we're definitely going to dive into your backstory because I'm super interested in that. But like, what's a tip that you tried recently that you thought was kind of fun and, and generated a lot of rewards in some, some capacity, I guess. So there are these things called buyers groups that they don't normally talk about on the large blogs because there are these certain hacks where if they get out too fast into the general public, it ruins it for everybody. So there's mm. certain places you can go to find what's called buyers groups which are people who flip things on the internet like PlayStation 5s or iPads or something. Hmm, okay. If you are one of those people, you have a limit on how many you can buy from a particular store. Best Buy will only let you buy, I'm going to make this up, three iPads or something. Amazon's only going to let you buy five. But if it's the Christmas season and your side gig is to flip these kinds of things, then you outsource it to other people and say, okay, I will pay... $150 for this new gadget. It's up to you to figure out how to get it cheaper than that so that you can turn a profit or at least break even. But here's my going price. Mail me an iPad. I'll, I'll pay you back. And then I'll, I'm going to flip it on eBay. So there are people who do that. And then they will outsource it to a bunch of points and miles people who are going to say, oh, I'm going to get $150 worth of points and miles on my credit card. And then just ship it over to this guy. He's going to reimburse me with PayPal or something like that. And then we're good to go. So I've been dabbling in that a little bit. I don't go as deep into buyer's group as a lot of other people because it can be such a headache if Amazon cancels your order or Best Buy just happens to run out of PlayStations and they didn't track inventory correctly. Or they say, oh, you seem shady because you just bought five of these and then they <laughs> shut down your, your shipping and handling. So like any side gig, it it's not completely headache free, but sure. those are one of the things that people have mentioned on the show where I'm like, oh yeah, I guess you would never hear about this normally. No, like not at all. I think that's, that's so awesome. That's a really great tip. So give us some context into you and your background specifically. Tell me how was money talked about when you were a kid? So I grew up in a Filipino American household and I grew up in Blue Springs, Missouri, which is 93% white. And <laughs> <I can imagine. laughs> it's, there were not a lot of other Filipino people to talk to and not a lot of people talked about money openly with each other. Mm. We did talk about it in my family because my parents wanted me to be financially responsible. But as I think a lot of people in the Filipino American community will attest to, you get a lot of contradictory narratives about money where it's important to look successful, but also important to save. But also we should be very charitable and send a lot of money back to the people in the Philippines who don't have um, as many opportunities as we have here in the United States. And so you're constantly going back and forth between do I need to look successful? Do I need to save my money? Do I need to give my money? I earned my money and now what should I do with this? Oh, I should just give it to the family so that they can help pay for um, somebody else's education or something in the Philippines. And it, it goes back and forth a lot. And there's this whole concept also of if you are quote, the one who had the opportunity to migrate from the Philippines to America, you have this huge responsibility on you to prove that you are worthy of winning that lottery for your family and being able to send money back. And you have to be looking really successful or else there's this undertone of, why did we pick you? Like we should have mm. sent your brother or sister. They would have made way more money with the opportunities you were afforded in America. So then people have this pressure on them too, to become 
doctors, lawyers, successful businessmen, and also look the part on Facebook because the Philippines has the highest Facebook per capita of any country. So you need to be posting like nice photos all the time of look at our vacation and look at our Gucci purses, but also here's a whole bunch of money for you because I'm not selfish. And there's so much confusion around what exactly is the money narrative and how exactly should you approach money? And so a lot of people just say, I don't know, I'm confused. Man, I relate to that so much. So I don't know if you knew this, but my my partner is Vietnamese and his family came over to America. I don't even remember what year, but he so he's first generation American. And it's so interesting because similar stuff where it's so much pressure. And I think that's the part that I think is so fascinating is um, immigrants and people that are first generation don't necessarily have that clear narrative like you're talking about. It is that like, what the crap do I do? <laughs> like, what is the right decision? And I could see that leading to a lot of mental health issues and a lot of financial struggles and all of that kind of stuff. So how did you personally navigate that? That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So a lot of people ask me, oh, was your mom like a tiger mom when you were growing up? And I just answer, not really. I was just a tiger child. And I think I internalized a lot of these different narratives of you need to be super successful and super charitable and this and pretty and skinny and everything else. There, There's a lot. There's a lot of pressure on um, the eldest female Asian daughter or something. Mm-hmm, um, totally. There's, there's a lot of pressure there. And so the way I internalized it was, oh, I just have to be super successful. And so I chose a career. I, I really enjoy my career as an actuary, but money had a lot to do with how I went into choosing the career path that I would have. And then I started diving more into personal finance. I was like, okay, well, I I have to pass all my actuarial exams because this is how I get raises. And then this is how I can help my family and send even more money back. And then once I was done with actuarial exams, at some point, my husband heard from a friend at work, oh, here's these different fire blogs. I think you'd be interested in this. And it was like, something just lit up because I was like, this is everything. There's a whole community of mostly white people who are into the same thing of make a lot of money and then spend little of it and then invest the rest. And then you can be a millionaire forever. So I thought, oh, this is going to be the answer to everything. And I dove hard. We reached fire super fast because my husband and I both have high paying careers. I'm an actuary. He's a software engineer. We already both just grew up pretty frugally. I cook at home. A lot of our expenses were, well, a lot of our expenses were very low. Our entertainment was, I really liked doing free yoga in the park when we lived in Colorado. He liked to, to download a $10 video game every once in a while. And then would just play that for weeks at a time. So entertainment was very cheap. And then for vacations, we would travel hack. So God. We we met fire very, very quickly. And I was like, oh, yes, I am a successful Asian daughter. I've, I've successfully done everything. But it's also always worth noting when you go through your fire journey that what is available to you is not available to everyone else. And I think it's something mm-hmm. that both happens in the fire community as well as in the Asian communities of, well, just look at so-and-so, like, compare yourself to this other person. They reached fire faster. She became a doctor, lawyer, surgeon, and model all by the time she was 28. Why can't you do that too? And it's, it's a lot of pressure and it's not good to have that narrative about money in whatever community you're in. I totally agree. And I'm I'm glad you shared that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And congrats on fire. That's so freaking awesome. Thank you. Did you have like a moment where you were, you hit that number and you're like, Oh my God, we can be done working forever. This is amazing. We didn't know what the number was because we were into like the multi millions of dollars yeah. and we're not planning on leaving our jobs anytime soon because we both work really hard to get where we are. And I'm like, well, I'm just going to milk this career because I spent six years doing actuarial exams and I enjoy my actuarial career. My husband's also concerned about, well, if I just stop working, what am I going to do? I'm just going to have too much pent up energy and terrorize (laughs) him at home and be super annoying all the time. So 
we don't have any plans to stop working. And there wasn't really this, oh my God, we can stop working forever. It, it's more just a, look, we, we did it. Like we yeah. have this much money, but also every time we hit like a, a million milestone, something that we didn't like happened in the world. I think the first time was um, Trump got elected president the day yeah. we hit a million dollars. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, You're like, what are we doing? I'm like, this is not a successful day. <laughs> I'm not happy today. Uh, another milestone was during that when the Capitol was breached just a few oh, months ago. And I'm like, I'm like, well, okay, today's also not a day for celebrating. So no. oh, um, it, it's been an awkward multi-millionaire <laughs> journey. But you got to break that, man. <laughs> I know. I'm like, well, if we keep making money, bad things are going to keep happening on the board and our mint account looks good. Like, shoot, this is like a total ethical struggle. <laughs> I know. So I'm like, well, I'm not going to post about this on Instagram. There's other more important things going on in the world. So yeah, th- yeah that's, that's been our money story. It's been confusing and whirlwind and awkward, but everyone's journey is a little bit differently. I mean, dang, I don't know to that level, but <laughs> it's definitely different. Congrats on your, your milestones though. I, I know it's sometimes it's hard to celebrate those, especially as you mentioned, like on some of the, you know, not so fun days for sure, but really awesome job like that. I think it's so cool to see that. And I, I'm sure you guys take some time to reflect on, you know, how great this was. So I'm kind of curious from your perspective, what are a few of the things that you attribute to that success? You mentioned a higher paying career and frugality. Is there anything else that we maybe didn't talk about that you think is important for that? I think it's also just really beneficial to be around circles who are supportive of certain types of lifestyles. Because if you're in a community where everybody's just saying, you're really weird for being this cheap or treat yourself all the time Or why do you keep going for promotion? Why do you think you're better than everyone? Like if you have that kind of community around you, it's going to hinder your fire journey so much. So I think it's also just really good that my husband and I were in circles that say, yes, building wealth is good. And here's some actual investment advice rather than, oh, here's get rich quick, get rich quick scheme with some like these three stocks will make you rich. We didn't have any of those people in our circles. So I think the community is really important to it. Whenever you want to level up in anything, surround yourself with people who are already doing the kinds of things you want to do. I agree with that. And I know with COVID, it's been really hard for people to make those connections. But one of the ways that I was impressed with the way you're handling this is, of course, through the podcast. I think that's a great connector in general. But you also have this thing called Hangouts. Can you talk to us a little bit about what that is specifically and how you're building a community there? Yes. So each month I host a GeoGreece Travel podcast off-air hangout where we invite featured guests who have been on the podcast as well as different listeners to just jump into a video chat room and do a few things. So anybody who's really new to travel hacking is like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to research. I don't even know what to type into Google. All of that they can just type into a chat box and it gets answered for them by the experts in the room within two hours. It saves so much time versus if you're trying to research all of this on your own as a beginner. And then if you're a more seasoned travel hacker, you get a few things out of this hangout as well. You get to show off your knowledge, help people. You can promote your own Instagram or blog or podcast or platform, which I'm totally cool with. And most of the time, whenever you jump into a clubhouse or a masterclass or something else like that, if other people want to correct you because you said something incorrect about an alliance or something, people get super defensive all the time of like, no, I don't want to be upstaged. And I'm not about that at my hangouts. I'm like, okay, like if somebody knows the answer, just shout out the answer, say who you are, people will follow you if you know what you're talking about. So I just like to have that kind of open community and a very non-judgmental community at that, because whenever people type in questions into Reddit or Flyer Talk, sometimes they can be met with a lot of judgment for not already knowing certain things like, oh, what's the difference between Chase Sapphire Preferred and Chase Sapphire Reserve? And people will just say, how do you not know anything? You should Google things before asking questions in this forum. Yeah. And we're not about that. We're just like, whatever your questions are, type them in the chat box. They're going to be anonymous anyway. And then we're going to answer them in five minutes. We'll, we'll get through all the questions super fast. 
That's incredible. I, I think it's really cool. And I love the the community that you're bringing, especially during these times where we all feel so isolated. So it's so nice to have a place where you can be surrounded by like-minded people. It's just such a cool option. Absolutely. And I think it's very common too with travel hackers to feel very alone anyway, because whenever we try to get our friends and family into this hobby, there's always so many people who are saying, Julia, I think you're getting scammed. I think you're falling for a credit card scam and your credit score is going to die. To which I'll say, well, my credit score is over 800, so it seems like it's been fine the last four years, and I've never had to pay interest on my credit cards because I always pay them off. It's the number one rule of travel hacking. Always make sure your credit cards are paid automatically in full every month so you never have to carry a balance over. You don't have to ever pay interest. But it's really hard to get your friends and family to believe in this concept, and so whenever people on the internet say, oh my God, you're into this too. You are like-minded and you understand you are my people. It's just really nice to have everyone like that jump into a Google Hangout and meet each other. And I am always so proud of how much diversity we have in each of these Hangouts. I try to post screenshots all the time and it's just very telling of how inclusive the community is when you just look at all of the different faces, and we're from all over the United States and Canada with all different types of styles for how we like to use our points and miles. So I'm very proud of how inclusive it is in that sense as well. Well, high five. I think it's amazing. You're doing some great work there. I'm curious for you, how did you get into travel hacking? What what was your entry point to this world? So when we started reading about fire blogs, a lot of them will focus on a particular thing like investments or taxes. And yeah. I think it was Go Curry Cracker that was talking about the different travel hacks that they did. And I just thought it was completely magical that somebody could just put normal spend on credit cards, get some sign up bonuses, travel at least a little bit around the world for almost no cost. And so I told my husband, we have to jump into this. And he <laughs> had the exact same reaction as everybody else of this is a scam. We should tread lightly, <laughs> no more than two credit cards. So we got into our first couple of credit cards, and we were about to go on a trip to Morocco, which wasn't on points and miles yet. We had Mm. paid for it on cash to meet the minimum spend on our credit cards. Gotcha. So 20 hours before we were about to board this plane to Morocco, our tour guide, who who was handling our hotels, transportation, excursions, pretty much everything other than the flights, He called and said he had to cancel because he had a family emergency and he was a one-man operation, so he didn't have a backup. So he just had to refund our money and we were on our own to find accommodations, transportation, how to get from the airport to a hotel. We didn't even know what hotel. So I had 20 hours and I was panicking. Luckily, we had just gotten our First sign-up bonus, it was on an SPG card, and they've since merged with Marriott, so this is no longer available. But they own Sheraton. And so I called American Express and said, hey, I have these points, and I need a hotel in Casablanca. What do I do? And they said, oh, well, there's the Sheraton Casablanca. You have enough points for, I think, three days for free. And I said, cool, I'll take that. So we get to this hotel. It's super nice. And they said, oh, thank you for having loyalty status that comes with your credit card. We have upgraded you to this room. You get free breakfast, access to the hotel lounge for happy hour and snacks. And I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) This is the glory land. Like, oh, my God. It's real. Everything on the blog is real. (laughs) And so after experiencing this, I'm like, we have to dive in way deeper. And my husband has managed to rein me in a little bit to where we were only getting a few cards each year rather than some people who then churned 15 cards in their first year. We didn't do that. We did probably four or so. How how come you didn't do more out of curiosity? Mostly my husband being scared about everything that could have gone wrong. And there's a lot of different considerations too, if you're going to turn through cards that quickly, one is you're probably not allowed to do it anymore because Mm. of rules like five over 24 with Chase, where if you've applied for more than five cards across any carriers in the last 24 months, they'll just reject you. And then with American Express, you can only get each card bonus supposedly once in a lifetime. So it's not going to help you to turn through the cards because you can't get the sign-up bonus multiple times. So there's a lot more rules in place now that didn't exist five years ago that keep people from doing this kind of churning game. But 
for us, the main thing holding us back was my husband being like, I think bad things are going to happen intuitively if we sign up for 15 credit cards in the first year. So we should not do that. So we've, we've slowly delved more and more into the game. And then as I've learned more, I've gotten to meet more people who are also in this hobby who tell me about even more cooler hacks. And it's just been an amazing journey so far. Everybody always says that just because all of these new rules are coming into place that keep people from churning. There's been speculation for years of, oh, the game is going to die. Like, this isn't going to be lucrative anymore. There's always new plays that are coming into into view. That's good to hear. I, th- I think that is, like, a big thing is you always have the skeptics all the time that are telling you, like, oh, this is good. Like, blogging's dead. Podcasting, it's too late to start one. Like, you're always going to have that crap. But I think it's interesting to hear about the rules that are in place. And I've heard this before. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it true that if you are just getting started into credit card hacking, the advice that I've been given is to start with chase cards? Is that is there any merit to that? That's generally what we recommend. And that's because of the five over 24 rule. Got it. First of all. And then also cards like the Chase Sapphire Preferred, Chase Sapphire Reserve, a lot of the other Chase cards, they're transferable to a lot of other partners, whether it be hotels like Hyatt, airlines like Southwest or United or JetBlue. You have a lot more options versus if you go straight for a Hilton credit card on Amex, mm. then it it already takes up one of those five over 24 slots. And you you can only use those at Hilton. If you are traveling somewhere and they happen to not have any Hilton hotels, you're kind of lost. Whereas if you have a Chase card, you can transfer it to multiple partners. But I always say it depends on your situation. And I, I know a lot of people have shiny card syndrome where they'll Google, what card should I get? And then it always just has like a blog. And they say, oh, well, the points guy said this, so I should do this without consideration of... What are you going to use with those points? Mm -hmm. So my advice is to work backwards and pick a destination that you want to start off with travel hacking if you're new to this. And from there, say, okay, who actually even flies from my home airport to whatever destination I want to go to? Because if you want to go to France, you probably don't need a Southwest card because Southwest doesn't fly to France. And And then you figure out what hotels are in the area. And then how many points do you even need to get that free flight? The free nights at that hotel and then what credit cards can transfer to those points programs Mm -hmm. and then what cards you would need to get in order to get those those points how you're going to meet your minimum spend so working backwards that way and then deciding on the cards almost as the last step is going to be much smarter and much easier for anybody who's just starting out versus trying to research 30 cards and figure out which combination is going to be the best for you just work backwards from what it is you're trying to do Yeah, I think that's really, really great advice. I kind of wish I would have did more of that. I just got my first credit card for traveling. I I historically, this is so embarrassing. People, and I've talked to a lot of people who travel hacks. I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but it was never something I did. Like, I just was like, oh, cool, good for people. But the the complexity behind it kind of scared me a little bit. So I just got my first Chase Sapphire Preferred. And I will definitely hit that minimum spend with a project I'm working on. Um, But yeah, I I think I I should have maybe did that a little bit more of like, what do I actually want from this? (laughs) Turns out. Yeah, it's always easier to just narrow it down if you say, okay, what's the goal that I want to work towards rather than, okay, I'm going to start with a whole bunch of cards, then I'm going to figure out how to puzzle piece them together later. Totally the case. I like that though. That's really, really good advice. So for travel hackers, I know there's people that were kind of like me and your husband and we're like, you know, this does seem a little scary. Like I don't want to lose everything that I've worked so hard for from tra- like we're, we're going to lose everything from a $5,000 balance, but we often think that. And so I'm curious for you, do you have any tips for people like me that are scared of that to get that minimum spend? Is there any like safe ways to go? If the fear is that the credit card is going to make you spend money that you had no intention of spending, it's good to have a plan for how you're going to meet that minimum spend. Because whenever you're applying for a credit card, they tell you how much money do you need to spend in three months, whether it's $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, in order to get the sign-up bonus, which you want to make sure you're going to get. And so you need to make a plan for how you're going to do that. You can either time your credit card application right before a large purchase, like a kitchen remodel, down payment on something. You can 
work with friends and family to say, okay, do you have a whole bunch of bills that I can put on my credit card and then you can just Venmo me back or write the check or something? There's more advanced techniques too um, that we talk about on the podcast and on the Hangouts. One of them that I like to recommend to people is called Kiva, where you loan money to small businesses that need loans. And so they'll charge your credit card for a hundred, few hundred thousand dollars or whatever. And then six to eight months later, they'll pay you back via PayPal. So then you would have gotten the thousands of dollars worth of credit card points, and then you get payback six to eight months later. So that's oh, another, cool. another way that somebody can meet their minimum spend easily. Oh, what a fun way to give back too. That's like it, those Kiva is such a good organization. That's a great tip. I love that. Okay. So to give everybody context, if you're listening in, you're like, Whitney, you're frugal too. How are you going to do this? This is for, I'm doing a project in the mountains. That's a glamping unit. And so the dome that I'm purchasing is like a $10,000 dome and there's a $5,000 deposit. So I already have the cash. I already have to pay for that. So immediately I was like, I got to do this. Like this make, this is my time, Julia. I can finally make it work. <laughs> so I was that's pretty awesome. Stoked. That is, that's the perfect time. <laughs> I was pretty stoked about it, friend. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I can finally get a free flight. Oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a lot of ways too, where people are like, well, I never really spend that much money. How am I going to mm. get more points if I never really spend anything? A lot of people, they just, they meet it through their side gigs. If you right. want to buy something from Ross dressed for less and then flip it on eBay, you can maybe turn a profit or you can at least break even and get all of the credit card points just from turning through stuff and reselling it. Makes sense. Let's talk about organization. So how many cards do you have currently and how do you keep them all organized? So I have, I think, 17 cards and 17. There are some different tools that I use to keep them organized with travel hacking. So the first one is called Card Pointers. It's a free app, and it just answers the simple question of, what card am I supposed to use for this purchase? It has different categories that says, okay, for groceries, use this card. For gas, use this card. For restaurants, use this one. So Card Pointers is one of my favorite apps. I interviewed the founder of that one on my podcast, too. I think he was episode 19. It was an excellent interview. Award Wallet is one of my favorite tools for staying organized because they will show you how many points you have across the different programs. So whenever you're like, okay, how many United points do I have? Or how many Hilton points do I have? How many Chase points do I have? Award Wallet is really good for answering that question too. That's freaking awesome. And do you, do you like have a spreadsheet too? So, I mean, how, how often are you actually closing cards? I guess maybe that's a better question. I don't close cards very often. Each year, it's important to assess if a card is still bringing you value mm. based off of the annual fee. If you have a card that has no annual fee, just keep that forever because it's going to really help your length of credit. It helps your credit utilization by keeping more lines of credit open. But if you have an annual fee on it, then you have to justify that annual fee. For example, if you have a World of Hyatt credit card, it's $95 a year and comes with a free hotel night. So as long as you can find a free hotel night that would cost at least $95 a year, you should keep that card. So that's how I, I generally justify whether or not I want to keep a card. We don't close that many cards. We have closed cards in the past before. One was a Southwest card because we moved from Denver to Jersey City and we now fly out of Newark Airport. Southwest doesn't fly out of Newark Airport. So we're like, okay, we don't have much use for this card anymore. So different life situations like that will cause us to close down a card. That makes sense. I think that's that's very forward thinking of like really given an honest analysis of is it currently serving you? If somebody does that analysis and they're looking at a card that isn't quite serving them anymore and they close it, should they expect credit score decreases temporarily or how does that work? It'll decrease a little bit depending on a lot of other factors. So if you... And it's mostly to do with your utilization, which is how much credit you're using divided by how much credit you have. If suddenly you've closed your largest credit line and you don't have a lot of credit, your utilization number is going to spike and that's going to bring your credit score down. Additionally, if you close down your oldest credit card, which for everybody listening, I hope is a no fee card so you never run into this. But if you close down your oldest line of credit, that's a credit score category in and of itself, and that's going to be bad for your credit score too. So you might see a little bit of a ding depending on what your utilization number looks like and your average length of credit, 
But most of the time, as long as you're not doing it too much, you should be fine. It'll bounce back. Okay. So on the flip side, if you're applying for multiple cards in a year, is that the same type of thing where they should expect some type of like a credit decrease or does it not really affect you as much? Again, it depends on how it averages out with everything else that's going on. If you're applying for a credit card, it's going to do a hard pull on your credit. You're going to see a temporary decrease um, and then it'll bounce back up as long as you have good credit card habits, such as paying off all of your stuff in full every month automatically. Keep your utilization low. Just because you have new credit line doesn't mean you have to use the entire credit line. You want to keep that number, the utilization number, below 10%. And other parts of your credit score, it will ding you a little bit to have new credit, but it helps you to have more lines of credit open. And you can't have more credit without getting new credit. So it it's a trade-off and better in the long run if you can have more of these different diverse accounts. You mentioned earlier, too, that you should never pay interest when you're credit card hacking. Can you talk about why that might be? So the interest rates on these cards are some of the highest interest rates on the market. And if you carry a balance from month to month and you have to pay interest on that balance, that's just going to negate all of the value that you would get from the different points and miles. So if you want to play this game correctly, you need to make sure you are paying it off. You are able to pay it off in full every month. If you're in a place right now, where you're not quite able to pay off that balance in full or you're still carrying over a credit card debt, you have some consumer debt, this is not for you yet. You should wait until you are consumer debt-free before you start getting into points and miles. Good advice. I like that. Makes sense to me too. You mentioned that you've traveled a lot and I can imagine with all the points, you're probably very frequently traveling. So how many countries have you visited now? More than 30. And I never really, I don't know the full exact number. It's like between 32 and 35 because I'm like, oh, what counts as like a country if it's its own territory? What do you, what do you count as a country? Like visiting a country? How do you count that? Um, my very scientific method is, is it a different color on my scratch map than like the country (laughs) that it's supposed to be a territory from? I'm like, oh, well, I guess like Puerto Rico is a different country than the United States because the U.S. is blue on my map and Puerto Rico is orange. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I should count that one. I know. I've always struggled yeah. with that one too, though. I'm always like, oh, wait, does that count as another country? I'm like, crap, I don't know. Yeah. So some of the things like that where I've been to Denmark, but I haven't been to Greenland and I ask myself, oh, if I ever go to Greenland, is that a country in and of itself if it's a different color than Denmark? So. Things like that. I would would totally count it too. (laughs) But we already had that conversation with me too. I count like every little thing. I don't count airports though, I will say. Do you? No, I I have to step outside of the airport in order to count it as a country, which sometimes leads us to doing interesting day tours. We were in South Korea. I think it was a nine hour layover and they actually do free tours out of Incheon Airport. I'm not sure if they're going on right now. But if you have a layover that's over a certain amount of time, you can just sign up for these free day tours. They'll take you around the Incheon area. If it's long enough of a layover, they'll take you into Seoul. And just like a shopping trip, a tourist trip, Amazing. they'll just show you some different stuff. And yeah, we we now count South Korea because we, we saw some temples, we saw some museums, did a little bit of shopping and then went back to the airport. How fun. I'd be stocking up on all the sheet masks. I'd be loaded for life. <laughs> There's so much fun stuff at Incheon Airport. They have showers that are just accessible for anybody to use. It's the second best airport in the world. The first one is the Singapore Airport. They gave me a free Dior facial. Um, You can just ask for samples, and they're like, oh, here's a free Dior makeover. Here's La Prairie. They had a $600 jar of, like, white caviar face cream, and they're like, oh, here's free samples. You can sample every drink, every fancy Grey Goose, Singapore sling, martini, cognac, anything in Singapore airport. That place is magical for free samples. Dang, I need to go there just for the airport. <laughs> That's incredible. Do you have any any favorite countries or any places that you really want to go back to? Singapore is probably my favorite, but one of the really understated countries that we've been to has been Estonia, which no one ever talks about. And it's so, so great because 
it's very picturesque. You have all of these castles in the background from the medieval times. The Valyrian language in Game of Thrones is based off of Estonian, so you just feel like you're in Game of Thrones. The food is super cheap and very good. People speak English, so it's really easy to get around. Everybody was nice, and it's very walkable in the city area. We were just there for a day because we took a Baltic cruise, but oh my god, Estonia is really, really good. Highly recommend. Love it. I think that I have not been there yet. My niece did a report on Estonia and she it was cute. She was like 11 at the time. She's like, Hey, can we go to Estonia? I'm like, what's what's in there? She's like, tell me all about it. I'm like, yes, yes, we can. That would be so fun. Absolutely. So there's a lot of countries I recommend Singapore. If you like food, my favorite food countries are Thailand and Spain. I also like mm. Peru. We travel to a lot of just foodie places. <gasps> My heart's broken. We were supposed to go to Peru in May of 2020. And that's my dream trip. So I was so bummed that we had to postpone that one. But when it opens back up and things are safe, I'm really looking forward to going there. What did you do there? What was your favorite parts? So we just hung out in Lima. We didn't go into the mountains or anything. So we did a food tour. Um, Perfect. Yes, we did food tour. We stayed in Barranco, which is the artistic district. And it was really funny reading about this place online because it would say things like, you're going to see a lot of graffiti all over the buildings. Don't worry. There's no gangs. It's just artists who feel the need to express themselves on public buildings all the time, which there's a lot of graffiti and it's very safe in Barranco. Oh, good to hear. Yeah, that's awesome. Very, very cool. Julia, we've covered a lot of ground, and I'm so grateful that you took the time to kind of hang out with us all. I know you've got a really cool special offer for Money Nerds listeners. Can you talk a little bit about your offer and where they can find it? Yes. So if you go to geobreezetravel.com slash money nerds, you can download the email upgrade template that I use to get free upgrades in hotels all over the world. My favorite use of this, we went to Maui because we had, well, it was for a wedding, but also we had a Hilton free night certificate. And the most expensive hotel that you can use this in is the Grand Wailea in Maui, which is a Waldorf Astoria hotel. Prices start at $500 for this hotel. Hmm. So we said, we're gonna use our free night certificate here. And then I used this email template to write to the hotel asking, hey, if you are not sold out, could we get upgraded to the $650 a night room? They ended up upgrading us to the $900 a night room, which was a corner balcony overlooking the ocean. We had free breakfast that came with this room, free dinner. They also wheeled in a cart of champagne and local Hawaiian snacks. So probably saved about $1,000 on this one night. Definitely download this template because I've gotten some really amazing upgrades off of it. And a lot of people have too who have downloaded it. I'm stoked to use it myself. I think that's going to be so helpful. I'll let you know how it goes for me. Perfect. I love hearing whenever it works on anybody's um, on anybody's trips. If you do use the template and it works for you, please upload a video to Instagram, tag me. I will repost and I will be so happy for you. I am on it. <laughs> I'll be your first testimonial from the Money Nerds audience. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Julia, before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Are you more of a morning routine or evening routine person? I am more of a morning routine person. All right. So tell us what's your current morning routine? So I wake up, snuggle my husband and scroll through Instagram for too long. And then eventually (laughs) I get out of bed and then I record my reel of the day, which is normally a travel hacking tip. That's just 15 to 30 seconds for people. And then I try to chug a glass of water because it is dry and we are all dehydrated and then do some stretches and then start work for the day. Love it. That's a great morning. Are you a coffee drinker? I am not. I just try to drink a lot of water. I admire that. We had a conversation about that before hitting record. It's tough. (laughs) It's tough. (laughs) But good for you. Okay. Next question. Where is one location you're dying to travel to? I really want to go to Amsterdam because that is the trip that we were planning on taking around this time last year. And it was our first trip that fell victim to pandemic trip cancellations. So one day we'll be able to go to the Netherlands. 
Oh, dang it. And eat all the Stroop waffles and have a great time. I love Stroop waffles. They're so good there, too. Like, not to hype it up more, but they're the bomb. You're going to love it. Tag me in all your pictures. I'm going to, like, live vicariously. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, next question for you. What's one purchase you recently made that has made your life better? So I pay a guy on Fiverr to edit my podcasts. and. Hey. It's just so nice outsourcing things. I know a lot of people when they're frugal or like I have to do everything myself and I never want to outsource anything. We also pay somebody to clean our house now just because I wanted to inject more money into the local economy and it's life-changing. Just being able to go out, run errands and then come home and you have a clean apartment. Oh, mm-hmm. So nice. That's also, also great. I love that. That's a really good tip too. Okay. Last question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? The secret to financial success is being very clear with what goals you want. Because if you are trying to emulate somebody else's financial journey for something that they did that you don't even want, you're going to be fighting yourself the entire way. So if instead you are very aligned with what it is that I actually want to do and why is this important to me? It just makes it so much more motivating to actually do what you need to do in order to get to financial independence or wherever you want to get to. I love that. Julia, thank you so much for your time. You're such a rock star. I'm so grateful you took the the time to share your tips with us. Thank you so much, Whitney. I am so grateful to have been able to come onto the show. I love your show as well. Well, likewise, back at you. It's really good. And everybody, make sure you go listen to Julia's show, Geo Breeze Travel. It's so good. You're going to learn a ton of really different travel hacking tips. And it's definitely one of the more unique ones I've personally listened to. So I'm a big fan too. So thank you again. Thank you. All right. What'd you think of the episode? I loved learning from Julia. I think she is such an awesome person and I really appreciate her mission to bring diversity into travel hacking and this points industry because it is notoriously not overly inclusive as I'm learning. So I thought that was really awesome to hear. I'd love to hear your takeaways too. Tag me on Instagram and let me know what really stood out to you. Thank you so much for listening in. I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.